You're listening to the GameStudio.biz podcast, recorded on 23rd of August, 2023. I'm James Batchelor, and joining me today are... Jeffrey Russo. And Brendan Sinclair. You join us during Gamescom week, uh, and actually a little under 24 hours after Gamescom opening night live. Um, I missed this, I missed the event because I was on trains and stuff, but uh, you two gentlemen managed to watch it live, uh, as the name implies that you should. Um, with the dust settled, I'm keen to kind of get impressions as to the lineup and because I gather there's not a great deal that was new, I kind of want to talk about the upcoming release slate in general, um, because heaven forbid we talk about video games on a games industry .biz podcast. Um, so first of all, mainly, first question is like, what did I miss? Like, how how was Gamescom opening live? What were the highlights? What were the lowlights? Tell me. Well, I mean, it, it was it was all right. It, it's uh, like it's something that we discussed, you know, in chat while we were watching. It was like, you know, yep, this is definitely a, a promotional games industry thing, which is fine. You know, um, one thing I will say is just <laughs> early on, um, I, I'm sure there's been a couple of stories about it. But when Jeff was, you know, doing his his thing, some random dude just showed up on stage. And then I was like, hey, there's some life breathed into this. And then Brendan uh, jokingly said, we're only one minute, 45 minutes into this. Like, we have like two hours. You know, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, but one thing I will, I, I'll give credit to, to Jeff is just that uh, it definitely sounds like he took the um, criticisms made during Summer's Games Fest and uh, corrected course because we saw a lot of... Um, uh, women on the show. Like I think just five minutes into it, we we saw um a leading developer um speak about an upcoming game, new DLC. Um, you know, we saw folks of color. We saw um Gemma Chan uh talking about uh her role in Diablo Four season season of Blood. We saw Gina Torres. I I think that that was fine. You know, that's definitely improvement. So we would definitely like to keep that as a regular thing. Um, I also noticed some trends as well uh, while watching it. Mainly, um, if if you're someone who thinks we don't have enough medieval fantasy games, boy, did Gamescom opening night take care of you. There <laughs> was, there was. Uh, let me see, Warhammer. Uh, I forget the subtitle. Uh, forgive me. He had a uh, grand. Um, uh, Grand Blue Fantasy uh, Relink, that's an action-adventure game. You've also had another trailer for Lords of the Fallen. Uh, you also had, um, you know, Crimson War Desert. Haven. And yes, Crimson Desert. And thank you, Brendan. And I'll probably let Brendan uh, take it from here after that. But once we saw Crimson Desert gameplay, it, it's obvious that Pearl Abyss has resources available given how much you know, their games make, but when you look at Crimson Desert, you're like, sure, this is a medieval fantasy game, but it is, it has so many mechanics from other popular games woven into it. It's, it, it's impressive, really, even though it's a sincere form of flattery given the imitation. Yeah, it, it it's pretty shameless, too, <laughs> about it. <laughs> Like it, it's recreating the Zelda floating islands, jumping off and then diving uh, straight into like a underground pit kind of world. It's it, it's it's impressive how quickly they could turn this around um, based on how recently, I guess, uh, we, we really got to see what what 
Zelda Tears of the Kingdom was was uh, doing. Uh, so either they, you know, they were just really good about guessing it ahead of time, but, um, yeah, it's, it looks like, you know, a, a technical achievement to have done all that stuff and all kinds of in- incredibly talented artists and developers in, involved in that. But at the same time, it's like, to what end, you know, they're just putting, putting together something that seems so much a pastiche of, uh, very clear, inspirations that i i i do wonder what the you know what the game's distinct personality will be like when it finally comes out if it if it has one um because i remember genshin impact when it first came out that was being written off as a zelda breath of the wild clone um but it, it very quickly established itself i think as not that um despite the kind of superficial comparisons the the one takeaway that i had from gamescom opening night live um was mostly about like by my count there were only three new games announced there little nightmares 3 killing floor 3 and thank goodness you're here and those are not you know the 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 big reveals really um it was the big games at the show were Starfield, Modern Warfare 3, Tekken 8, Alan Wake 2, things we've known about for a while. Uh, Modern Warfare 3, we got like a our first like here's a good look at the gameplay for it. But it's, you know, it's it's Call of Duty. It's it's Modern Warfare. Even even they had the narrative director of, of the game there to to talk about it and the best summary that she could do is like you know bad guy makarov wants to bring the world to the brink of war but not if team good guys have anything to say about it and it's like i'm i'm sorry but like (laughs) yeah we just spent this is like the 20th call of duty that we've gotten (laughs) they come out every november like clockwork and there is a lot of war in those games yeah and the idea that like war is a bad thing that we want to prevent is just so not really in keeping with what these games actually are about and the appeal of them (sighs) i'll stop there or else i'm going to go on for a lot more than a microcast no it's fine one thing i was going to pick up on was as you say like the the lack of new announcements i seem to remember last year last year's opening night live being somewhat underwhelmed because there was lack of variety. There was a lot of gory space horror and Souls-like games and, you know, big, flashy action, sci-fi, fantasy stuff. I seem to remember a lot of very similar games last year. But at least there were new games. There were, like, uh, I think Liza P at least got uh, the first good look at it, if not the first announcement. Atlas Falling, I think that was new. Like I remember there being at least, like, seven or eight new announcements last year. Jeff kind of, Jeff Keighley tried to, to temper expectations ahead of time. He actually said, like, you know, just to let you know, this is going to be more about updates of existing games rather than, oh, yeah, updates of upcoming games rather than new announcements. So the fact that there was any new announcements was a pleasant surprise. But, yeah, it, it's, I think it's more, a, I wonder if it's more of a, a statement of the industry's release slate than it is of this particular event in terms of there's nothing new to announce yet. Yeah, that well, we are still 
few and far between with the big releases. Summer Game Fest was the same story, right? Mm, and yeah. um, I, I wonder how much of this is kind of related to the end of last year, early this year, a lot of companies scaling things back, canceling projects. Um, Ubisoft certainly canceled a, a slate. Wizards of the Coast, I know, canceled some. Um, and just, you know, when, when the economy kind of uh, turned, turned south, people got scared and, and uh, tightened the belt. So part of this might be just a matter of there are fewer fewer big games from the big companies right now that are at that that point in development where it's like yeah this is when we should be getting getting them out there and starting the the hype cycle um i wonder i wonder if part of it also isn't just sort of the gamescom opening night live and summer games fest feeling the same the same kind of sting that e3 did in that these publishers now they can in a lot of cases just reveal stuff whenever they feel like and their audience will show up for it and and there's less of a need for the you know to to put it in the middle of a showcase like this where it could be completely overshadowed by other other games the the other thing that i thought of as well is just that as we were seeing these new updates and you know trailers i i think about how dustborn was given a, a schedule of yeah it'll release in 2024 it's it's not a new game but it's something that we've seen before also with um black myth wukong that uh that chinese um developer based souls game which we've seen for a couple of years but it's still i i think they said 2024 um is when it might release but still that that's a game where we've seen gone from like proof of concept to like trailer to like trailer to okay now maybe there's a game you know what they and, and i think maybe that's on on the subject i think that's more indicative of where kind of things are right now you know we'll give you updates and then eventually <laughs> you'll you'll see a release date I, I i don't know but yeah like jeff said there was not there was not a lot new um we just saw trailers and updates story trailers so um and regarding the question of was it worth watching this i mean i i guess to see the faces of people who are making <laughs> these games and you know what, what they think about and some jokes didn't land during the show but that's neither here nor there well as we've said like the the rate of releases big new announcements and releases is slowing slightly and as as you say brendan like you know most companies can just go straight to their audience rather than relying on these big showcase events so given the lack of new announcements at opening night live i was i was intrigued to use this as an opportunity to look at the release like going forward um this is something we've been talking about on the site in recent days um, we ran a story last week about you know, the, the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 reveal came last week and essentially our story was like that's the final piece of the puzzle as it were when it comes to like the the usual Christmas lineup you know, certainly in the UK but certainly other you know other markets as well like you've got two staples of the the release say every year which is FIFA and Call of Duty there's obviously no FIFA this year because it's now EA Sports FC so that is there but it's not there in name and then now we've got a full Call of Duty after so many reports that it was going to be a, a glorified expansion, etc. 
my point, I'm rambling slightly, but like, I'm intrigued to see what you, I'm intrigued to know what you two think of the lineup that's coming up in terms of how it fares in terms of big, big games that will do well. And if, if there's any particular games you think will or won't do well, I'm going to finish my ramble here slightly in that a lot of conversation has been hailed around the fact that October seems to be quite crowded because you've had uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage has moved forward a week to avoid clashing with other releases. Uh, Alan Wake 2 moved 10 days back, like it you know, was delayed 10 days to avoid clashing with other big releases, things like Spider-Man, things like um, uh, yeah, Super Mario, I guess. Like just, there's, there's a lot of uh, big releases, etc. Chris made an excellent point uh, in an opinion piece, which is for everyone that thinks that the current October that we're coming up to is crowded in terms of new releases. This is tail end of October, early November in October 2008. You had Animal Crossing City Folk, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts, Call of Duty World at War, Fable 2, Fallout 3, Far Cry 2, Gears of War 2, Guitar Hero World Tour, Left 4 Dead, Little Big Planet, Mirror's Edge, Mortal Kombat vs DC Universe, Need for Speed Undercover, Pro Evo 2009, Resistance 2, Sean White's Snowboarding, Sonic Unleashed, Tomb Raider Underworld, World of Warcraft, The Wrath of a Lich King, um, WWE vs Smackdown vs Raw 2009, plus 70 other games. So <laughs> it's not that crowded. It's actually, by comparison, it's a very quiet lineup coming this Christmas, but it does feel like there's a lot of larger titles on the way. I'm intrigued to get your thoughts. So for me, the the Q4 is basically all about uh, Super Mario Wonder, personally, <laughs> just just because I I really you know want want to see the the next step in in 2D Mario games. So personal interest there. Um, the the rest of it, like I don't know. I I know it's they're big games and all, but Starfield, I'm I'm interested to see if if Bethesda can you know bring its uh its formula to this sci-fi space exploration kind of idea which i'm i'm not entirely sure it's super well suited to um and and like armored core 6 comes out this week that that's going to be fascinating for me because uh from is you know are, are they able to to translate their notoriety and their success from Elden Ring into their their other um, big franchise, I guess. Their other established but forgotten lately franchise and, and you know, breathe new life into that. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Master Collection actually has me interested and I, I, I hope it does well just because uh, I want there to be a second volume of this. So that like Metal Gear Acid and Metal Gear Solid 4 finally get released on other systems and aren't just completely, you know, stuck on their original platforms. It would be nice if they were available for people uh, these days. Um, Assassin's Creed Mirage looks good. I, I, I think that uh, even if it's not as, you know, big an installment as like Valhalla was, if it's not a frontline Assassin's Creed, I... I still uh, think that that setting from like the very first Assassin's Creed um, has has been you know in need of revisiting and, and it could do really well there. Um, See, so I'm going to interrupt briefly. Like selfishly, from a personal perspective, I really want Assassin's Creed Mirage to do well because 
as much as I have come to terms with the fact that, yes, the massive open world ones like Origins, Odyssey and Valhalla are the ones that are going to make this a billion dollar franchise like Ubisoft wants. If enough people buy Mirage, maybe they'll keep making the shorter ones for people like me who don't have time or interest in these gargantuan historical epics. Maybe they'll keep making games that are actually about being an assassin. Heaven, heaven forbid. Heaven forbid. Um, yeah, like I, I, I would probably pick that up, but I actually have, I have not bought an Ubisoft game since the incidents, uh, and I, I don't know if that's going to change as long as management remains. Um, I, I'm also very interested in Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, which comes out in December and uh, was not seen at all during opening Night Live, which kind of surprised me. Um, I, I think was it, what's the subtitle of the second movie way of water. Is that it? Yeah. That yeah. avatar is weird because it, it has always felt so like hollow and unmemorable to me. And yet it was still like just an absolutely massive hit. And then the second movie was still big. Um, but like, I have serious concerns about like that game just nose diving, uh, and then Modern Warfare 3. Like that's that's another one that I'm that I'm kind of really interested in because the Modern Warfare setting is is huge, but this is also Sledgehammer, not Infinity Ward. And it's, you know, coming right on the heels of Modern Warfare 2 and and it it's just such a uh a different circumstances from the normal cadence that Activision had been going with for Call of Duty that like there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there that I kind of have, you know, tempered expectations of, but there, I, I could also see myself, you know, being surprised at how well they do. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see a whole lot out there that's like really going to, that strikes me as like, this is the obvious biggest game of the year kind of thing. Like even, even Spider-Man two, um, I've, you know kind of forgotten about like the first spider-man and miles morales were great but i'm i'm are, are people are people gonna be super excited to to sign on for another another round of what it seems to be kind of a very similar game i mean speaking as a spider-man nerd yes yes we will okay but, but 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 yeah no i know what you mean like it's i mean that is by far and away sony's big release of the year and it's you know it's a massive my, license you know spider-man is there was a study out recently or like last year because it was the a big anniversary for spider-man like he is like the most popular marvel brand and and one of if not the most popular superhero going so yeah that's a title that is guaranteed to do well whether or not it's going to set the industry alight and do something incredibly different different that's doubtful, but it will certainly deliver a big blockbuster, kind of the way that Call of Duty, regardless of even if Call of Duty Modern Warfare Three is a glorified expansion, as has been as has been rumoured, that will deliver big sales. Will deliver exactly what it wants, you know, exactly what that audience wants, um, and it will just be it will be a big blockbuster. It's exactly what you kind of want. Oh yeah, this um, is all. All my concerns are relative. <laughs> I should say. Yeah. I, I don't think any of the games that I mentioned possible exception of armored core six are actually going to flop um no. it's 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 all just you know like uh, whether spider-man 2 makes a, an impact in the same way that spider-man 1 did we'll say there's two i worry about 
and I don't have a personally I don't I personally don't have a big interest in either but the two I think that might suffer are Alan Wake 2 because it's already quite a niche prospect in terms of you know it's it's a cult it's a cult hit it's a you know remedy make amazing games I know plenty of people who were obsessed with the first one, absolutely adored the first one, and have been dying for a sequel. But when you've got a sequel to, what, 2010 game that obviously didn't sell well enough in the first place to warrant a sequel back then, and yes, it's now multi-format, and yes, it's now, you know, the fact that it even exists is a miracle, but when you've got that coming out alongside Modern Warfare 3 and Assassin's Creed, a Spider-Man, a new Mario you know in the wake of starfield all of this stuff i can't help but wonder if that's going to suffer and then the other one is sonic superstars now sonic superstars looks great fun i'm not a big sonic fan but that's one is like it's one of the few sonic games where i'm like yeah that looks good fun I'll, I'll have a go at that but it's october 17th so it's three days before super mario brothers wonder so you know it's very much a 90s sonic versus mario battle going on there and I can't help but feel that Mario's always got the upper hand and that Mario Wonder looks a lot better than Sonic Superstars, even though it's only on one format. It's weird because Mario Wonder is, you know, old style kind of Mario game with new look. And I'm like, yeah, here's take my, you know, $80 Canadian. Um, whereas Sonic is, you know, old style Sonic game with a new look. And I'm like, you're charging full price for this? Really? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's there is there's no, you know, logical reason for that discrepancy to be there, but it 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 does feel really pressing to me. And I, I like I wonder if a lot of people out there have, you know, the same uh, not very sensical uh, double standard for those two franchises. You know, I the the interesting thing will be is that. Uh, when you have a month packed like that, the thing is, you know, to be quite honest, there's winners and losers, you know, as far as will these companies get the sales that they'll deem, um, you know, hey, this is great. This is what we are targeting. I think a number of them will not because it's that you see a game like Lords of Fallen. Why are you releasing in a month where you're seeing big first party game releases? I have no idea. That boggles my mind. I think Spider-Man is going to do well for itself. I also think Assassin's Creed is going to do well for itself. I also think Mario is going to do well for itself. I just mentioned three games from three game companies based on established franchises that are, yeah, we know our demographic. We're just going to release this and it's going to sell. Everyone else, I have no idea. you know. And it's one of the things I, and, and, and I know, and one of the things about Chris's piece that that he mentions is that there's always that fight for grabbing people's attention that is naturally harder when you are not as big as a studio or, you know, publisher as everyone else. Right. And it is it, always interesting to me to see what what that's going to look like in terms of sale. I don't know how well Lords of Fallen is going to do. I just don't think it'll it'll do necessarily well, given the the market that it, it is probably trying to shoot for. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, e even though we use that ex that that earlier example of how packed October was, it always just boggles my mind 
how packed the month is and then because reasonably who 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 is going to just get all these games let alone find all the time even though you know studies have shown people buy games yes but they don't necessarily complete them that's a whole different conversation but i i'm ranting but my point is that there's definitely going to be winners and losers and we're going to find out either if we get press releases that say hey this game sold this many copies that's great i'm sure the publisher loved that or we might not which might also be a case of well maybe it didn't do so well you know so we'll we'll, we'll see you know i i just I would not like to be a small <laughs> publisher and release something in a month like that, personally speaking. Well, speaking of which, like if I can throw in one more example, um, I'm just going down the list of, of games coming out this year. One I keep forgetting is even coming out this year, let alone at all. Alone in the Dark. The Alone in the Dark remake. Now, Alone in the Dark was never a hugely popular franchise, but it was big enough to, like, it, it's known. It's an established franchise. And the THQ Nordic remake looks impressive. I mean, they've got, they've, they've, paid for Jodie Comer and uh, Stranger Things' David Harbour to be in it. And, like, that, those two people are the only person, the only reasons I have any interest in that game at all. But that's coming out October 25th, two days before Alan Wake 2. And then in the midst of all that madness, like, I don't want to... I, I, we could easily spend an hour just going through the release slate and picking up, like, these one. But I think there are quite a few. I wonder if, like, they would delay them or if they'd be better served delaying them but equally i recognize the realities that they can't because q4 is undeniably the biggest spending period on video games it's the gifting period you've then got the opportunity to um boost sales for like black friday sales and stuff but i don't know and, and you know tsq nordic is part of embracer embracer are going through enough troubles they definitely need they you know, need a hit at some point but yeah there's just so many games out there you're like maybe Q1 is looking rather nice for you. It used to drive me up the wall how uh, heavily tilted the industry was toward the holiday quarter because it would just be this, you know, gauntlet of new games you wanted to play um, pretty much from when Madden came out up until the, you know, first week of December is when the new releases would start drying up. And every other time of the year like you know january and february would be you know wastelands on the release calendar you'd get a, a bump for march with the end of the fiscal year people wanting to, to rush stuff out then and then you know april through the summer could be there, there'd be spotty scattered releases um i will say that I think the industry is actually less seasonal now. This mm. is this is anecdotal um, because the the number of releases now, physical releases, is so much smaller. So that like AAA blockbuster tier of budget is is smaller. And if you look at the number of big releases, it might not have changed much at the very top end. Uh, you know, the distribution month to month to month. But it just seems like there's there are a lot fewer dry spells during the year for me now compared to, you know, even back in the PS2 era when when there were so many games coming out that there would always be, you know, something interesting each week. But if we're talking like the big games, the the big attraction games, like it, it just feels like they come out pretty much, you know, throughout the year now. 
and it's it's weird to have seen improvement on that front but even with that improvement it's still and there's a noticeable you know concentration around around the fourth quarter so i'm i i'm i'm sure that there are a lot of these games that aren't the you know frontline games everyone's talking about that are still um doing more business then even when they're being overshadowed in the popular discussion um they're they're still getting their sales Other story that's uh, being talked about this week is the Microsoft Activision acquisition. Um, Chris and I did a microcast on this yesterday. If you check the GI podcast feed, you will find that episode there. But the you know, 24 hours later, the dust has settled and you two weren't available for the <laughs> microcast. So I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on like what's next for this deal and your reactions to the fact that Ubisoft have been brought in as some kind of custodian of the uh, <laughs> cloud gaming rights. Well, I would be happy if I was Ubisoft right now. I'm I'm pretty sure that they are because purely purely from a business standpoint, you know, I just thought, huh, okay, because this is another this is another lane of you know expanding your your business operations. Ubisoft was already you know they already have experience in in, in cloud gaming, right? And that's a business sector i'm sure that's growing so why wouldn't you insert yourself into this and you know as you said become the janitor and you know it's going to be interesting what what um their earnings reports are going to start looking like when um whenever this is finalized you know that I'm, I'm mostly interested in in what that's going to look like but i i think it's smart from a business standpoint because and also for for ubisoft as well as their, you know, kind I don't think the word transitionary is right, but as they're kind of, you know, like reassessing things, if this fell into your lap and you're like, yeah, sure, you know, <laughs> to have another, you know, lane to work in, absolutely, why not? Why not take it for the big, biggest deal in gaming history? Yeah, sure. That's my thought on that. Yeah, I, th- I think fell into their laps is, is pretty uh, good way to put it there. Just... Because this is, this is just the streaming rights, though, right? So this isn't like the yeah. subscription, uh, the rights to put it into a subscription service. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, is a distinction. And that's that's why Microsoft would be so willing to um, part with these, with these rights. So the cloud streaming market is pretty tiny by all accounts right now. And if it blows up, um, then, you know, Ubisoft gets to ride the, the Call of Duty uh, gravy train for, for a while. If it doesn't blow up, I'm guessing Ubisoft didn't pay a whole lot for these, uh, for these rights because Microsoft was a motivated seller for sure. Um, so I, I, I think this does address... Th- th- this doesn't, like fundamentally change the deal for Microsoft. Um, But it does directly address the thing that the CMA said it was the most concerned about, which was cloud gaming. And it's, this seems to me 
like unless the CMA wants to say no well no what, what about this what about this and and just you know I don't I don't think that's likely to happen um but this seems to address their their main concerns and like Chris was saying in the microcast the CMA can chalk it up as a victory that they that they got this concession before the thing went through um and I think the thing is that the regulators and this is around the world here have have kind of shown throughout this entire process that that the way that we look at at anti-competitive um acquisitions and mergers and whether or not they violate antitrust rules or hurt consumers it's it's a little it doesn't quite capture i think the question that that we need to <laughs> Uh, I, I wrote about this for This Week in Business um, a, a while back, just saying like why, why I think it will go through the deal, but why it shouldn't. And the reason it will go through is if you, if you look at what Microsoft is getting here, it doesn't fundamentally, you know, like create some sort of market dominance. In the console space, it, it helps the third place player uh, catch up a little bit, right? In the PC space, uh, Microsoft's dominance in PC through Windows is kind of, it's there whether you want it to be or not, and it's not going anywhere. It's, them having Call of Duty does, does not really change uh, the influence that Microsoft has over the PC space in all its forms, PC gaming included. In the mobile space, uh, Microsoft surprisingly didn't really have much of a, a mobile gaming presence. And, and now they've got King, which is, you know, Candy Crush is, is arguably the biggest single game, uh, mobile game in the world. And they have that now. So they have a, they have a foothold, but they certainly don't, you know, have any kind of dominant market position in mobile. Um, and, and cloud gaming is really the only, the only thing. And that's such a small market that I'm not even sure it's, it's, it's a small and hypothetical market at this point that I'm not even sure it was, you know, worth the regulators cracking down on that. So, but it, it, that's the reason why it, it, it does go through, but like the reason it shouldn't go through is just Microsoft is, is so massive and engaging with this company is basically not optional for the vast majority of people as they live their day-to-day lives. They, they will deal with Microsoft products at some point, whether they want to or not. Um, it's giving them more influence, uh, significantly more influence in any of these sectors where they, they haven't just cast a huge shadow over everything is I, I, I think it's a problem and it, it gives them so much more, you know, leverage when it comes to dealing with with governments, dealing with regulators. You saw the way that they dealt with, you know, the CMA once the CMA blocked their their merger, their acquisition of Activision Blizzard. All of a sudden it wasn't so much, hey, we respect the process. It was you know, like, man, it would it would be a real shame that you're so against innovation and technology that we have to, like, stop 
providing our our support for your security infrastructure and to to you know we we do so much business in the in the country we do so much business in the uk never mind that you know they've not been paying the taxes that they they should be and activision blizzard hasn't been either but you know once once the regulator said no they they turned to like okay well we have leverage over you and we're going to remind you of that and letting them get bigger only increases the leverage that they're going to have to get their way on anything else further down the road so that's that's where i am and basically where i've been on this merger the entire time one thing i will add uh one one thing i will note um there was a comment that that brendan made i want to say months ago regarding the merger and i i think he said something to the fact of i think he was reacting to something that he saw and then I, I think it was when the deal was blocked, I want to say by the CMA, and Brendan saw someone react to, well, you know, they blocked our deal. I think it, it, it was just some weird fanboy reaction type of thing. And I, I just sat there and thought, these are companies. These are businesses. It's just a part of the game of business. You know, I, 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 as we reported on it, I, I don't think any of us have any real hard feelings except for journalistically. You know, I know James is very tired <laughs> with all the writing he's done. And I know my brain is fried from reading legalese and documents in a, a year's time. So, you know, once it's done, I'm going to be, I, I'm going I'm to say thank you. I'm glad that's done. And I don't want to read that much legal documentation <laughs> ever again. That that I has been it. one thing that that has um, it should not have surprised me about this whole process, but it kind of has is the um, the tribal council war kind of stuff that we have seen around this. And uh, part of it, I think, is because Chris during interviewed Jim Ryan. Uh, after the deal was initially announced and, and got kind of Sony's take on things. And um, since since then, you know, our, our notifications on social media, whenever we touch on anything about this, is, is just this complete mess of, of people accusing us of, you know, being a Sony mouthpiece or whatever. And it is it is exhausting to to see this kind of stuff and to understand how many people out there see the world through this this very narrow distorted lens and in in a way that just absolutely does not matter or have any any real bearing on on what is actually going on and it is it's a bummer cuz i have i have always thought that i've been you know like pretty pragmatic leaning towards cynical about stuff in this industry and when when you see something and you're like oh no no i gave us all too much credit um that's that that is a sad moment of recalibration to to see what kind of you know what kind of culture that we are we are simmering in here happy thought but you know (laughs) that's what i'm here for as i said on the microcast with chris i am at the stage where 
this this deal is inevitable. Like as you kind of said, Brendan, like you know, there's reasons why it shouldn't go through, but there are reasons why it will. Um, every argument that has been pushed against Microsoft, they have addressed in some way or manner. And now I'm at the stage where like I just want this stage to be over so that we can have the conversation with Microsoft. Like, what well, what's next? Once you own Activision Blizzard King, what do you do with it? Like, what what happens next? Like, you know, simply owning it doesn't automatically transform your business and accomplish your goals. How are you going to build on that ownership? And um, that's the bit I'm more, most intrigued to, to look into in the next few years. I'm, I'm very curious to see whether or not Microsoft can actually um, continue the momentum that Activision has had. Because I, I, think, uh, I think there are just a, a number of reasons to be sort of concerned about the Activision Blizzard franchise and 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 whether whether they're you know maybe Kodak is is selling now because like he's looking a few years down the road and he's not really liking uh what he's seen there and what kind of uh trajectory he expects the business to be on because I, I I suspect King will do just fine um they've they've been kind of as far as I'm concerned the all-star for Activision Blizzard for several years now and uh just quarter after quarter they're you know fueling the business and putting up good results compared to call of duty activision where that part of the business will have like you know has a gangbusters quarter and then maybe it's like oh this uh this part's not that great oh we're back we're back it's a big quarter and blizzard has just been um, they, they've been turning around a little bit of late with Diablo Immortal and Diablo 4. Um, but I, I don't have a lot of faith in like Overwatch 2 to, to really drive any kind of growth over the first one. And the, the Blizzard name, I feel, has taken, taken some shots lately. I, I, I wonder if the, um, the employment situation, the uh, developer morale everything from the lawsuit if that's hit the blizzard side of the business a little bit harder um there's certainly been you know turnover and management there like it's and and the approach that activision has activision blizzard has taken with blizzard has been different in in recent years where they've really kind of tried to crack down and focus on uh you know turning being profitable and, and cutting corners and instead of the previous Mike Morhaime blizzard, where it was kind of like, you know what, things will take as long as they take, but they'll be good because this is our way of doing things. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I think there are a few, few reasons to be a little bit skeptical of, of Activision Blizzard's future and then combine that with Microsoft's track record of what it does with the companies it acquires, um, whether it's been, you know, too hands-on and messed things up or two hands off and mess things up. There's there's uh, not not always a whole lot of like great stories to come from Microsoft acquisitions. That's all we've got time for today. We're going to be back with uh, more microcasts and full length podcasts as and when we have the stories that we want to dive deeper into. You can get all previous episodes of this podcast on the podcasting platform of your choice, and you can get more news, insight, and analysis into the world behind video games at gamesindustry.biz. 